Welcome back to the Movie Bible Podcast. This week, you've got myself, Colin, and I'm joined by Nick and Brennan as we talk about the opening weekend for Terminator Dark Fate, Harriet, Motherless Brooklyn, and Arctic Dogs, as well as Netflix release The King. Alright, so breaking down this weekend's top five at the box office, we have Terminator Dark Fate in the number one spot with $29 million domestically, followed by Joker in the number two spot with $13.9 million domestic. Maleficent Mistress of Evil is the number three spot with $12.17 million domestic, followed by Harriet in the number four spot with $12 million domestic, and the Adams Family rounds out the top five with eight, almost eight and a half, but $8.49 million domestic. So Terminator Dark Fate was in the number one spot with $29 million domestic. Uh, And while it is in the number one spot, it is by no means uh, having a good time at the box office. (laughs) Um, Terminator's just had a rough couple of decades (laughs) ever since Terminator 2. And this just kind of continues that trend, sitting at about $123 million worldwide, uh, which isn't the worst thing in the world for most movies. But for a, a big budget release like this, uh, that's going to have a lot of uphill work to do going forward. It, this is uh, this is not good. Yeah, it's it's really really bad. Uh, it's kind of weird because we talked about like Genesis is was just a really bad just misfire back a few years ago, and you would think after that they would recalibrate, maybe make this movie probably a little more like a, a little less of a like a budget or like a big blockbuster extravaganza and anything like that. But this movie actually increased its budget from Genesis. Genesis was about 150 million, 155 million. And this is, this has been projected as anywhere from 185 to 195 million. Um, so it's, it is, this is a really bad misfire and Paramount is just really struggling. There's just this and Gemini man, which is projected to lose close to a hundred million dollars. And it's, and it's theatrical run. Um, it's, it is really tough sledding. It is really, really bad. Yeah, and you know what? I think there's a lot of things we can touch on here um, with this and kind of some of the implications here. But one thing that I want to just point out, I think it just shows how huge Terminator 2 was back in the day because we always talk about, yeah, that's that's the pinnacle of not even just Terminator films, obviously, but action films and kind of it's such a good genre film. But just looking over the years at all these releases, I mean, 12 years later, you had the third film. Six years after that, you had Salvation, then Genesis a few years ago, and now Dark Fate. Um, Terminator 2 still stands as the highest grossing worldwide film in this franchise. And when you have movies that are released 20 years plus later, inflation should help you knock that off the top. But that is not the case with this franchise. And I think it just shows that people don't really, there's no itching for this franchise anymore. I think that we've seen enough. and even watching the film uh, the other day, Dark Fate, I don't know how what you guys thought about it, um, but I didn't mind the movie for what it was. But just throughout the film, I was thinking, even if it was a little bit better, even if there were moments I liked a little bit more, even if they changed a few things I didn't like, I still don't think I would be that into the film just because I'm so sour <laughs> on the uh, franchise as a whole. I think that they're, they've really run their course. Yeah, and it's... You really get that sense all across the board because even Genesis, which weirdly actually was close to breaking even back for uh, for Paramount back in 2015, where, as I said, its budget was right around 150, 155 million. It actually made 440 million worldwide. 
um, which probably was the reason that they tried to green light and just reconfigure this franchise overall. Um, but 80% of that was from international um, areas, which is just like insane. And that just kind of shows how powerful James Cameron is as a producer and just kind of a figurehead over in Asia. And he, he's, he was really big over there with Alita as well. And we all, we all, we all know that Avatar was just like a huge massive thing over in China. So, um, and it kind of looks like we're going to have a bigger variance this time around where, I mean, I, I probably see dark fate probably dropping pretty quickly. Uh, cause it's, it's humorless. It's rated R and it's just kind of like grimy and like, there's, <laughs> it's really not interesting. Personally, I was, it was kind of, I was kind of waiting for it to end. Um, like basically when the third act started, but, um, yeah, it's, it's really, this is not good for, for Paramount. And I'm wondering, we can maybe talk on it later, but I'm wondering what the future of that company is after this. This is just, it's, it cannot be overstated how bad this is. Yeah. And I'm kind of going to disagree with Brennan on this is I, I think this movie was pretty bad. Um, even, even for a Terminator movie, um, coming off of, you know, the past four that have all been for the most part panned, um, like, this this movie has six different screenwriters, uh, which is always one of the biggest red flags you could ever have with a movie, and it definitely feels that way. I completely agree with you about the third act. I think the third act drags on and on, which is really bad because you know it's action. It's supposed to move pretty quickly. Like there's not much that goes on in the third act except for shooting and punching, and it just feels like it takes two hours for the thing to end. And they have like four different locations for the for the last act. They start fighting in a, like a little bunker area, and then they, they go to an airplane, and then they're fighting in a dam, and then somehow they're inside a factory inside the dam, and like it just does not end. And this movie just kind of stumbles its way through itself until finally two hours and ten minutes later, it's over, and it feels like an eternity. Yeah, I was. I'm right there with you too. And I actually kind of like the first act of this movie because uh, it's it's really really quick. It kind of just drops you right in, and uh, these characters are just start have to start running out of nowhere because Terminators are chasing them. And uh, Mackenzie Davis's character, who played who's this new kind of hybrid Terminator, kind of well, not a Terminator. She's human but enhanced. But she's just like, like stop fucking talking. Just come with me. Like you're gonna die. Like it's like oh great. Like there's like no like. There's like no back and forth here. It's like no, I just we need we need to go or else you're gonna die. And I thought that was really well done. And the chase on the freeway that you see in the trailer, I thought it was really well done. Um, there's a lot of really fun stuff in there, and that was kind of one of the few times where I thought that the action was really properly staged. Uh, but then after that sequence is kind of over, we're we're just kind of we it, this movie gets lost in the lull and it's really confusing. And then there's a there's a weird subplot with. Uh, crossing the border in the u.s which is just really bizarre um yeah it's it's just all and then like our arnold shows up and it's just like the weirdest most convoluted thing where his character is and i don't want to spoil it for people who haven't seen the movie but this movie it's it's trying really hard to forget a lot of the issues that we've seen in the last few terminator movies but it's also just falling face first into them again because there's a lot of really weird time travel mumbo jumbo and kind of just it's all over the place and it, it doesn't really quite come together in my mind at all. Um, it's just, it's very, very strange. And I think this is kind of, we're not going to, I don't think we're going to see Terminator again, unless it's heavily reconfigured, whether they slash the budget really, really low, or maybe it goes to another TV series. 
like the Sarah Connor Chronicles of a decade ago. Um, it's I. This is kind of like a point of no return in my from my perspective. Yeah, I, I definitely agree there. I mean, as I said, I, I didn't love the film. I didn't. I, I wouldn't even say I liked it, but there were moments I enjoyed, and I, I'd give it a probably a three out of five star if I was going on a five star scale. But the film, it just the the feeling of it was just really clunky, and and it just it just didn't feel like it had any inspiration within it. I mean, it was just a. I don't know if it felt lazy so to speak, but it, it definitely just felt really, really messy for the most part for me. And as, as the film progressed, I was kind of with you, um, you, Nick and Colin were kind of just waiting for this film to finish. I mean, I did enjoy moments, uh, within there. Um, I don't know. It's, it, it's tough. I don't know where this franchise is going to go from here, but after this film and Genesis a few years ago, I don't think it's going anywhere at all. Yeah. And it, those, that, that kind of just weird, uh, pace of the movie kind of makes sense because as 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 with any movie that's kind of stumbling out of the gates you kind of start to hear rumors of behind the scenes turmoil and things like that so i mean colin alluded to this earlier but there were six screenwriters that came on and the th- three of them uh, josh freeman justin rhodes and david uh, david s goyer came on kind of in the wake of the ever nebulous like creative differences that occur- that occurred with tim miller and james cameron um which happened like through editing and kind of throughout the process, like the pre-production of this movie. Um, so it's, things are starting to come to light where this movie wasn't, was kind of maybe doomed all like before, like the cameras even started rolling. I mean, even then, when, even when it started rolling, like on, on set, the, the set went dark for a few days. They just stopped filming. Uh, don't really know what the, what the reason is behind there, but that's always a really terrible sign when you're filming a huge blockbuster. Um, so yeah. And I mean, I don't want to pick on him because I feel bad because he's one of six screenwriters here, but I don't really like David S. Goyer's work at all. I think he's, I think he's, he glommed onto the Nolans and I think he had a lot of success there with the Batman trilogy. But outside of that, I really don't get him as a screenwriter. Um, And you can kind of see that where like the scenes, like when you put the scenes next to each other, they don't really make sense. Like maybe in a vacuum, like they're kind of fun, but like they don't really connect whatsoever. And that's kind of like a theme throughout all of his screenplays. Um, so yeah, it's just, it's, it's so clunky. Um, it's, it's pretty humorless. They went back for that R rating, which I really appreciate. And they, they tried def- to definitely reinvent the wheel here, but it's just, it, it, it's just pretty bland and they don't really do anything with that R rating. Nothing fun. Um, really. Um, it's just nothing really inventive here. It's, I guess it's servicely, servicely produced and it looks decent. Acting's fine, but it's just, I, I think this movie's just kind of a mess from a writing perspective. Yeah, they brought yeah. back our rating, but they didn't. They didn't really go all out with it. I think it was just because they wanted to add a couple of extra f bombs here and there. Because I would say that obviously Terminator Two is definitely more gory than this film, um, and and is a little bit more inventive with its gore. And I think even Rise of the Machines is a film that is pretty inventive, inventive with its gore. I mean, I always remember the one scene where um, the TX sticks her um, hand through the guy who's driving the car. Do you guys remember that scene? Yeah, it's a really mm-hmm. good scene. Yeah. I ride for Rise of the Machines. Really good movie. People I need mean, to stop hating on it. <laughs> I mean, when, when you think about when you think about it, I mean, I, I thought about this film afterwards, and I was looking forward to it because of that R rating, especially. And I I definitely agree with you there. They didn't do much with it, and the only thing it really did was hinder this movie's results at the box office um, for sure. I don't think it'll be that big of a success overseas, and especially in China, where Genesis did so well, it's definitely not going to be doing much there at all. 
and it's it's so weird because I that our rating is great, but you would expect a decreased budget there too. It would make it would only make sense because you're kind of disallowing a, a big chunk of people from seeing your movie when it's rated R. Um, we saw it, I mean, we're gonna we're gonna touch on it later, but Joker is just doing crazy numbers, and that movie was fifty to sixty million. It cost something like that. Um, I mean, obviously you can't control for issues behind the set and all things like that, but um, I I would have thought it would have been a bad idea to greenlight a Terminator movie after Genesis that was any like anywhere north of a hundred million. Um, it just doesn't really make a lot of sense to me, and I think that's going to be the big issue here because on a big scale, I just don't see Terminator being successful for the time being. Um, it's just this movie. This is in desperate need of just start fresh within like whatever, like don't even worry about the continuity that we already have. Just do something completely different. Go back to, cause the first movie is basically a horror movie that we, that we, that we kind of forget about. And it's really, really fun and kind of pretty low budget actually. Very. Um, and I, and I would love to see some type of just really, the, I, I hate using the word gritty, but cause it's just overused, but gritty <laughs> like Terminator movie where it's, it kind of goes back to just that, like that fear of something coming for you at all times. And it's, we, we've just gone so far away from that. I just, it's, it's not this big action, uh, just global sensation anymore. Like we need to totally get away from that or else Paramount is going to just, just keep losing money because it's just not going to succeed like this. Yeah. And I feel like one of the worst things about this movie is, you know, this was supposed to be kind of the start of a new trilogy and a passing of the baton from, Sarah Connor and and uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger's Terminator, but the problem is all the characters in this movie are really boring. Like the, I'd say the character who's the most interesting is Grace, but she's also not really kind of put out as the protagonist. And so you have uh, Danny, who really doesn't do anything throughout the entire movie. It's just kind of shuffled from point A to point B by all these more interesting characters, and. Um, then I, I don't want to spoil it, but they really kind of squander a lot of the stuff they built up. And it, this movie is just a mess. And the dialogue is just really boring and <laughs> just really pointed. Um, sorry, not pointed, but really just far too obvious. Uh, like, especially whenever they, uh, they try to make Sarah Connor and uh, Grace, who's the, the human Terminator hybrid, just say the F word as many times as they can and they all just feel like really forced like they wrote the script and they're like "Ooh, well let's earn that r rating right here and there's just a lot of moments where they're talking and it just makes me cringe listening to all these characters talk yeah and it's it's really weird this movie is clearly going after those like like the nostalgia and everything like it opens from that clip with from t2 with where sarah connor's kind of just foreboding about uh, judgment day and it's like oh this isn't like, and it just goes right into the movie from there. Like there's no connecting tissue really, um, which is just, it's, it just feels like, oh, like we're just, remember this? Like this is something you liked. And it really feels like post Force Awakens, we've seen so many movies try to do this soft reboot type of deal. We saw it with Halloween last year. And this, this is Terminator Dark Fate is kind of the movie, is kind of the best comparison uh, with to Halloween where it's, really trying to just be like, hey, don't worry about all those movies you don't like, and we're going to do a direct sequel to the movies you do like. Um, and, but, and yeah, as Colin mentioned before, like, I don't know anything about these characters. Like, you could ask me, like, Danny, like, I don't know. She's, I guess she's tough. Like, I don't, she goes through a journey, I guess. I don't really know. Um, 
Mackenzie, I, I really love Mackenzie Davis just in anything she's in. Um, but she's, as Colin alluded to as well, she's just kind of there to be tough. And sometimes, I mean, like, I think her character is really interestingly drawn in terms of what they do with like this, like, hu- like human hybrid. I think that's really interesting, but it's not really a reflection of who she is as a character, or, like what her, like, mo- like what her emotional range is, or they kind of hint at her backstory, but it's kind of, it's just pretty sappy flashbacks. Um, but yeah, it's, it's not great. And then <laughs> once again, Arnold shows up and it's just, and it gets very, very strange. And I was very confused and it felt like a completely different movie, which makes sense because yeah. there was what, there's 25 different screenwriters. <laughs> <laughs> and part of the thing that really bothers me with this movie is a lot of it feels like some of the same stuff we saw with Terminator Genesis. Um, like, and I think this is a problem they've just had with the Terminator ever since 2-2 is they don't really know how to make the Terminator more of a threat. And so they're like, ah, well, in Terminator 2, we made the Terminator the ability to melt. So what if we let it melt even more in this one? <laughs> and like that's just kind of where we're at. Like it was nanobots in Genesis and it's like some form of molten metal in this. They never really explain it. It just kind of does stuff. And like with the whole just like some convoluted stuff they do with with Sarah and John Connor. And it, it's just like they, they took some of the ideas that were at least interesting, even if they didn't work in Genesis. And we're like, well, what if we just reuse those? But we added more Sarah Connor and more Arnold that you love. And that's kind of what we got. Just going back to the numbers itself, like this was the lowest first weekend in November uh, since 2013 with Ender's Game. Um, I think that's the first time anyone's announced, like, talked about that movie since then. <laughs> um, but so it's just really bad. 27 million, or right around 27, 29. We'll see when the um, uh, actuals come out tomorrow. But yeah, right in line with Genesis. And I don't really see this movie having any sort of legs at the box office because, I mean, it was weird because Genesis was actually a really popular overseas, as I mentioned before. And I think that was because it was PG 13. There was. Maybe not humor, but it was definitely a lighter tone and it was more accessible to more people um, than this. And this is just kind of a, a bummer from beginning to end. Um, so I don't really I think this movie is going to lose a massive amount of money because people are um, projecting that Paramount needs to um, get about 470 million back on this. Um, or I guess not Paramount, but just all of the studios involved because there's just it's just very convoluted on how many studios are involved in this movie. But yeah, I don't see that getting anywhere close to that. Do you guys like 470 million seems outrageous for this type of movie? Yeah, I think it'll probably drop um, drop off somewhere in the 350 range. I, it's definitely not going anywhere near 400. I think it's safe to say that it will probably um, hit 300. I mean, that it would need to. Uh, more than double what it did this opening weekend worldwide. I think it can do that depending on how long it gets in theaters. I know things are going to rev up a little bit when we get uh, into later this month and into December in terms of blockbusters, but I think that it'll probably surpass 300, but it's definitely not going anywhere near 400 and not even sniffing 470. Yeah, I don't think it's getting anywhere close. (laughs) Certainly not to Terminator 2, um, but definitely not even to Genesis. Like it. I, th- I think this movie's come a little bit too soon after we just saw kind of a quasi-reboot. So, I mean, they, they literally just rebooted this franchise in 2015, and here we are four years later, and they're like, wait, we're, we did we never did that reboot. We're doing this reboot. 
And I think that's just kind of deterred people. And it's just had a history of lackluster sequels. I mean, we, we haven't gotten a really universally acclaimed Terminator movie in 20 years. And I, I think people have really caught on to that. And these box office returns are really evidencing that. Yeah, I guess... So I guess if there's any chance for Terminator to have any type of success moving forward, what would you guys say? It probably needs to go away for like at least 10 years just to build up some type of nostalgia once again. And then I guess you maybe bring it back as like a really low budget. I mean, maybe not super low budget, but something like in the 40, 50, 50 million dollar range. I uh, really dig into that, the horror aspects of it. Um, I think that's really all the only way to go with this at this point. Or maybe it goes to TV. I think that'd be kind of cool to see. Um, but yeah, I just, do you guys see like a, a path forward for this? Cause I, I just don't at all. I think in the state it's in now, not really. I think we've explored too many alternate options with John Connor and Sarah Connor and whatever you want to call Arnold's Terminators. Um, I think kind of like you said, the best thing for this franchise to do is to go away and just come back as something different, something new. I mean, you can still use the concepts, but I think we've kind of, Eaten Sarah and John and the the T eight hundred to death at this point. I, I definitely agree there. It's got to go away for at least ten years, and even then, I I don't know. Um, but if if it does want to come back at some point, which it probably will down the road, depending on uh, where Paramount goes um, in the future, uh, I'm I'm not too sure. I think that for now, it's it's definitely a dead franchise, and I, I can't even see a avenue for it to come back because I just don't think they'd bring it back in a. Uh, um, in a small way, I don't think they'd bring it back kind of in a TV way or kind of like the Sarah Connor Chronicles. I, I can't picture them coming back with that. Um, I couldn't even picture a low budget Terminator like you're alluding to, Nick. I couldn't picture them going back to that either. Um, I mean, they might want to try it out at some point. I think that would be a great way to take this franchise, but I just can't see these studio heads um, wanting to choose that. But I mean, after recent years films like joker and logan i mean logan's a kind of a pricey film um but looking at at films like that like it, it takes the concept it kind of it, it kind of um uh does a tight little focus on a little story it's gritty as you said a little bit of an overused term now but gritty i mean they could go back to that but it, it's not going to be for a while and i just i couldn't picture it happening yeah and i have just one last just really bad note here for paramount so as I mentioned before, there's like there, there's a ton of different studios with their hands in this movie. Um, there's a it's produced by Paramount and with, through Skydance, and there's uh, Lightstorm Entertainment in there, and a bunch of others. And so Paramount is only distributing this movie in the U.S., whereas Fox is doing it overseas, which means Disney at this point. So any like any silver lining that there was with the overseas growth is actually just going to Disney. <laughs> so like <laughs> Paramount is just so done here. <laughs> like I, it's really hard to, without looking at the balance sheets, like what percentage of all this Paramount gets or like how much they were in for the cost of this movie on the production side. But it was probably really steep because of Skydance's involvement. So Paramount is on, is, there's just another big bill for them that I'm, I don't like, not sure that they'd be able to pay. So it's, at this point, I'm just kind of waiting for Paramount to sell off to someone else because it's it hasn't been looking good for a couple of years now, and I'm just I'm getting more and more worried by the day. You sell the really, Gemini Man, yeah. They're really going to need to bank on uh, the back-to-back production of the next two Mission Impossible's. I think that it might be their last little test to see where they go because you look at this year, kind of going back. 
Um, as you said, Gemini Man, that's not a film that turned out well for them at all. Um, uh, going back to kind of the beginning of the year, Wonder Park, massive bomb. I mean, a budget of $100 million. What are you thinking? Um, it made slightly over $100 million, but it definitely lost money in the end. Last year, Bumblebee was kind of their bright spot in terms of critical acclaim, but that movie did nothing compared to what the franchise, the Transformers franchise is used to. And even Rocketman. Rocketman's a movie that's going to probably, if uh, Paramount mounts a pretty good campaign, do decent here in the award season. But it slightly just made a little under $200 million. They were hoping for bigger numbers. I mean, it's R-rated, I know. Um, but they were hoping for numbers not akin to Bohemian Rhapsody, but definitely a lot higher than what they got with that film. So this year has been a uh, pretty bad one for Paramount. Yeah, it's kind of a rough go of it. I mean, to think that they uh, they helped start the MCU, but they're not seeing any of that anymore. Oof. Paramount is just, I feel so bad for them. <laughs> They've had so many L's over the past like decade or so. It's just, it really, it's really bad. Really, really bad. I think next weekend we're probably going to see another one with Playing With Fire, the John Cena film. Um, oh, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> I that totally guy, forgot about that movie. I'm not 100% sure, but was that originally scheduled for earlier than next week? I can't remember, but I think it's definitely online with, you remember Instant Family from last year? Yeah, the Mark Wahlberg and Rose Byrne movie. It's definitely that kind of like, oh, let's play to the cheap seats with like a, f- a good old family movie type of thing. Um, and it, if it was it, also a Paramount movie. Yeah, and yeah, exactly. And if we know anything about Paramount, the budget will be really bizarrely high because I think Instant Family costs like 40 or 50 million dollars to make, which is just insane. And I think one of my favorite numbers from like the last few years was like Daddy's Home 2 cost like – 70 million dollars <laughs> which is just like the most insane thing i've ever heard in my life i like i just don't get their price structure and maybe they pay for it maybe they give their actors some money up front and they take all the the gross on the back end but i it is just it, it, it is so weird they really need to do something different fast yeah they need definitely a new business model so yeah this film was originally supposed to drop um actually they they pulled it back a little bit it was supposed to come out in march of next year um, but they swapped it with um, – actually, sorry, they didn't swap it, but it took Sonic the Hedgehog's date, which was supposed to be next weekend. But after what happened with that trailer, obviously, they pushed that back a little bit and did some restructuring. So uh, I'm not too sure how this thing will do next weekend, playing with fire, but it might be another L uh, for Paramount. Yeah, unfortunately, I don't think it's going to be a good couple of weeks for them. And so with that, we will move on to Warner Brothers, who has had a pretty good couple of weeks um, with Joker, which pulled in another $13.9 million this weekend. Um, and it's just continuing to have these solid returns at the box office. It's at over $934 million worldwide, uh, which is, again, it's the, the highest grossing R-rated movie of all time. It is just making ridiculous money. And it's certainly slowed down in the in the past month, but it is still going strong. Yeah, I think the one – I don't really have much new here because we've kind of talked about Joker to death here. But it looks like billion, a billion dollars is probably going to happen, sitting a little over $930 million. And so it's still peppering like these like low – like it will probably hit like $10 million next week or something like that, maybe 9 kind of stick around and make these little sums of money that will pile up. I think – and then including the overseas gross, I think $100 billion is kind of like a shoe in at this point. I don't see any. I don't see it not getting it. I agree. I think this movie is definitely getting there. I mean, I remember last weekend we were kind of 
looking at the projections, seeing where's this movie going to land? Can it quite get there? Um, especially with uh, some overseas issues, I think that yes, it will get there. Um, Joker will definitely pass a billion dollars, and that's that's just crazy. Yeah, I think it's certainly made a lot more progress than we thought it would originally, and it's I mean it's so close. There's I I don't see a way it doesn't. Um, I think Warner Brothers is going to be pushing pretty hard for it, and especially if it does become a major contender for Oscar season coming up. Um, I I don't see a way this doesn't cross a billion dollars. And then in the number three spot, again, was Maleficent, Mistress of Evil, pulling in a little bit over $12 million. Um, I mean, this movie's kind of there, not really making much money. And so we'll move on to something a little bit more fresh, which is Harriet, which opened up domestically with an estimate of $12 million, uh, which isn't too shabby. Uh, you know, no one's expecting this to be just a huge runaway hit, but I've seen pretty decent reactions to it, especially from the audience reactions. And twelve million dollars is is still pretty solid. Yeah, I mean, you look at the studio estimates for this film for the opening weekend; they were sitting around seven on the low end, nine to the high end. So, turning twelve million dollars in your first uh, weekend domestically, I think that's something that they'll definitely be proud of. I'm not sure what kind of legs this movie will have. I mean, it's only in two thousand fifty nine theaters, which is a little less than half of the um, theaters across North America. So, I mean, it, it might get a few more especially considering it overperformed slightly above studio expectations this weekend um i heard it's a film that is a little bit of a crowd pleaser um especially um million dollars this weekend i'm not too surprised it played more of like a crowd pleaser type i heard a lot of uh, great responses with this film kind of on twitter and just just from some critics uh just saying that this this does kind of play it's a little bit more cookie cutter but it plays uh, sort of to a crowd-pleasing aspect, and I'm not surprised with the $12 million that it was able to pull in this weekend. Yeah, I, I think this is just another really good little mini hit for Focus Features is having a great fall. I mean, we had Downton Abbey is still doing ridiculously well, and it's right around $180 million worldwide. So then you have Harriet coming out and it's doing really good business, and I imagine that um, it's – it's going to be some type of awards player, right? Like, obviously, like the, the reviews, like I was mentioned, it's they're pretty solid. They're it's kind of a crowd pleasing movie. It's nothing very particularly like like very very interesting about the subject matter. Um, I'm interested to see it just because I really love Cynthia Erivo. I think she's a really great actress. But um, I yeah, th- this movie is probably going to be some type of player in awards season. Maybe production design, costumes, something like that. Focus features. This is like this isn't their first rodeo. They really. Them and Fox Searchlight, they really know how to run a campaign. Um, so I, I suspect this movie's going to be around for a while and kind of just have these really solid little mini weekends where it hits maybe eight million or like six million, really like over and over again. Um, and the legs will probably be really solid on this movie, which is what I wanted to touch on mostly, just because very like crowds seem to love this movie a lot. Um, so I suspect that this movie will. Like you said, the theater count isn't too high to begin with, but I don't think this movie was ever going to go out into like 4,000 screens. So I think for what it is, Harriet is doing really fantastic, and there's really nothing like negative to talk about here. <laughs> yeah, I would definitely agree with your assumption there of kind of an awards play. I think they'll probably shoot for Best Actress. Um, it seems like it's going to maybe follow the Judy path, where I, I don't see it kind of going across the board at at the awards uh, circuits, but I see it kind of shooting for a couple here and there uh, with the top one obviously being actors. Yeah, I definitely agree there. Yeah. And yeah, it's, it's a solid week for Harriet. 
And, you know, it, I think it could easily go either way, whether or not we see more of this movie uh, as we get closer to award season. I think it really just depends on what the rest of the movies throughout uh, the bulk of award season look like. And, you know, whether we're getting a lot of true contenders or kind of like last year, we're just waiting for something good to come along. Um, but I I think it's making solid money now, which is really no reason to complain for focus features. And so with that, we'll move on to the Adams Family, which rounded out the top five with a little bit of a Halloween bump, um, keeping it keeping it relevant. Uh, but at 8.4, almost 8.5 million this weekend, it made a nice, nice little profit uh, over the Halloween weekend. Um, and I think it's going to drop pretty sharply just as we're coming out of Halloween and going more into Thanksgiving and Christmas. Uh, but it, it had a solid weekend this weekend. Yeah, it's yeah. actually interesting because I would have suspected um, – I, I expect this movie to be stick around for a little bit actually because we look at the animated movies that are coming. Uh, I mean obviously Halloween's passed, so we're kind of done with that. But as far as kids' entertainment goes, I mean we have – like we had the aforementioned playing with fire that maybe does something next week. Uh, I, don't, I don't really know. Uh, we had Arctic Dogs this week, which we'll get to in a second, which did absolutely nothing. And then after that, we have the, the – the, just the the finally the release of Playmobil the movie, which I feel like we've been talking about for about two years at this point, and it keeps getting pushed back. So, I mean, yeah, the Halloween's over. I think from that perspective, that's definitely something to for this movie to be worried about in terms of its legs moving forward. But uh, it's it's really the only movie of its kind right now. So maybe it kind of gets to play for a little longer and eke out a little more some little more profit. This is like a sneaky little hit of the fall season, and it's kind of cool to see. Yeah, and it wasn't budgeted too high either. I mean, we've talked about this film a lot over the last few weeks. All I really have to say is that it, it is kind of that sneaky hit, as you said, um, up at $85 million domestically now. It's really just slowly climbing up there, $130 million worldwide pretty much. It's pretty impressive. Yeah, and so that rounds out the top five, um, but it actually was a fairly decent weekend at the box office in terms of how many movies are coming out. Um, so we do have other newcomers that are uh, entering the scene as of this weekend. So we've got Motherless Brooklyn, which opened up to a little bit over three and a half million, sitting at $3.6 million domestically. And it was only opening in about 1,300 theaters. Um, so it, it pulled in a fairly solid profit. Um, this is kind of another case similar to Harriet where, you know, we're not going to expect any kind of crazy financial gain from this movie. Um, the budget's going to be certainly a lot lower than Terminator. Um, and for the theater count, it's actually doing pretty decent business. Yeah. It's, it's definitely got some work to do, right? Cause it's budgeted at 26 million. Um, so I'm, I'm a little concerned for it in that perspective. Cause I, I don't really ever, I don't see it getting to that number. Um, but this is a really good job of Warner Brother mitigating the risk because, I mean, this is kind of a perfect uh, kind of polar opposite to what we talked about with Paramount and Terminator, where um, with all the people working on the production of this movie, so Warner Brothers is only on, is only has to fit the, the bill for 25% of this movie. Um, so there's other production companies involved. So they were kind of, kind of spreading the risk around. So even if this movie doesn't do really well, Warner Brothers really isn't going to lose much. Uh, so really good job by them. And 
the way this movie I, I was listening to Edward Norton on a few podcasts this week who he talked about how this movie got made and how it's it is really a relic of just like years past in a lot of ways um, but so this movie costs 26 million and it has all these really good stars in it and things like that and it's because they they had they worked within uh, a really tight uh, production window I think it was something like 40 some days which is just really really impressive for a movie like this. Um, so that's why their cost is so low. So they did a really good job of giving this movie every chance to succeed. Um, I don't know if it will, but I think that's just a really smart job of Warner Brothers having a, a good um, just knowledge of how to get this movie out. And it's it's definitely a bit of an oddity because we don't see many movies like this. But they gave their shot, and it's not a crazy bad risk if it goes back poorly for them. So I would say that good job on Warner Brothers. I, even if they lose, they're still probably going to win. Yeah, it's a pretty unique release, um, just everything that kind of revolving the film and stuff like that, Edward Norton especially, and his involvement here as the director and uh, the main star there. But I think that this film might be okay, depending on, I mean, I know it's not going to be a huge hit overseas, but I'm just going to point to the fact that it, it has barely come out anywhere else across the world, right? It's just seen a domestic release this weekend, as well as a few other small markets overseas. Um, it's going to be pretty much releasing over the next four to five weeks overseas into every other market. I think that might be enough to recoup the money. Um, I'm not, I think it'll probably drop pretty quick here domestically, but depending on how it does overseas, even if it just does decent overseas, it'll probably uh, be enough to help them recoup the budget. Well, yeah, I'm really rooting for this movie because, I mean, Edward Dorn has been working on this movie on and off for like, a t like so many years, um, and this movie's based off a really popular book and he kind of retrofitted it into this period piece. Um, God, and he's just been, this has kind of just been rolling around in his brain for so, so long. And then and he hasn't really been in much as a result because he's been working on so many different projects of his own. Uh, what was his last movie was like that weird, like cameo at the end of Alita, which uh, judging, we might not see him in that role in future movies. Cause Alita was kind of an iffy um, and it was really iffy in terms of how much money it made uh, theatrically. Uh, so it's really cool to see him back, and I, I have a soft spot for him. I really love a lot of the movies he's in, and I think he's a really interesting um, creative mind. So, um, yeah, I'm hoping – I'm rooting for this movie. I'm definitely going to give it my money when I get the chance to see it this week because I, it's so weird, and, I mean, it's so, it has a, a main character who's dealing with Tourette's, and it's and he's going on this, like, mystery. It's, it's just – it's such an oddity, and – I kind of, even if it's not the greatest movie, I, I kind of want to see things like this succeed on some level because I'd like to see more weirdness in my movies after seeing something like Terminator this weekend, which is just nothing, <laughs> you know? So, yeah. Yeah, at least this leaves some kind of impression, <laughs> uh, which <laughs> exactly. we could all use a little bit more of. <laughs> um, so that, that kind of covers Motherless Brooklyn. Uh, but the biggest movie this week that we need to talk about is Arctic Dogs, the animated masterpiece, um, instant classic from Entertainment Studios <laughs> Motion Pictures that opened to $3.1 million domestically. Um, this, you might recall, this is the movie where in the trailer, Jeremy Renner says, looks like the planet made a poopy. Um, <laughs> and I think this is just the peak of animation. I mean, this is what Walt Disney always dreamed of, but could never make i like what it like what it, is this thing i don't i still understand it we've been joking about it for weeks and just the fact that it's made by entertainment studios motion pictures which just always sounds like a fake 
distributor and it's Arctic Dogs and it's a shitty animated movie. It feels like some kind of weird front for like a multinational like criminal spree. Um, I just I just don't get this and it's cost 50 million to make. Um, between this and like the Goldfinch, like they're they're both battling back and forth for like two of the biggest bombs of the year. Like this is so weird. I don't understand it. Yeah, this is it's just an odd, odd movie overall, and they they landed way under um, studio expectations. Um, the studio was hopeful and was true was saying they were they were hoping to hit ten million dollars this weekend, and they fell way short of that with three point one million dollars. It's just a sad, sad opening weekend for this film. And I don't see it really going anywhere at all. Yeah. And I mean, it has a pretty recognizable cast overall. I mean, you've got Jeremy Renner in the lead, Alec Baldwin, Heidi Klum, John Cleese, James Franco, Angelica Houston, <laughs> Michael Madsen is in this movie. Um, like it, <laughs> what the has, fuck? <laughs> it has a pretty loaded cast, <laughs> uh, but it's just a super obscure movie that just seemed to kind of come out of nowhere. Um, I think I've seen a trailer for this maybe once or twice uh, in theaters. And I mean, it's, it's hard to explain this movie without just absolutely ripping holes into it and making fun of it. But uh, this movie exists. It probably won't exist for much longer sitting at $3.1 million <laughs> against $50 million budget right now. Um, I, I don't foresee Arctic dog sticking around in any kind of meaningful way. It yeah, just not, feels, a, not at all. <laughs> it, it just feels like a direct DVD animated movie or like one that would you'd see kind of just drop right to DVD like 10 years ago. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of I don't know why this came to me, but do you guys remember Norm of the North? Remember that? <laughs> it reminds me exactly of that. I don't know. If, it's oh, God damn. This movie is so weird. I don't understand it at all. It really is like one of those things we need to. We need to cherish it, but like not really because it's probably terrible. But it's like this thing is <laughs> so weird, and we need to appreciate that like it happened because it's just like what the fuck is this? <laughs> uh, yeah, um, that's Arctic Dogs. <laughs> Please don't make <laughs> us talk about it anymore. <laughs> um, but it's also a pretty busy weekend for Netflix as well. Um, so they had The King, uh, which released on streaming it did have a little bit of a limited theatrical run uh starting earlier in the month but it released on streaming uh this weekend and i mean netflix is always dodgy because you don't really know how many people are watching things until you know a year down the road they're like oh well, we had this many millions of people all watching this at the same time and uh yeah so we we don't really have numbers on the king um, i've heard pretty mixed reactions to it and a lot of those were mainly from the script, which seems to have been attributed to Joel Edgerton the most. But uh, The King exists. And I know, uh, Brennan, you had plans to watch it at least, right? Yeah, I'm going to check it out tonight, definitely, for sure. Um, I'm looking forward to it. Um, the, the reviews are pretty solid for the most part across the board. Rotten Tomatoes, Metascore, they're, they're both decent. Um, the movie's not blowing anyone away, it doesn't seem, but... I am looking forward to seeing Timothy Chalamet take on uh, this role. Um, I mean, it, it has a decently hefty runtime. I just hope that there's enough there to, to chew on. Um, but it should be should be a good watch. I wonder if this is like like Netflix is just going to start releasing like a, a movie, like a 
kind of like a King movie, like every early November. Cause they did the same thing with Outlaw King last year with Chris Pine. Um, and it's really interesting because we kind of this is kind of just an extension of Netflix just making movies that no one really makes anymore. Because like, how often do we get like these like King like rise to power like backstabbing kind of movies anymore? Uh, it's really interesting. So they've had that just two years straight. Um, so. Yeah, I'm actually I'm really interested to see this as well. I think Timothy Chalamet is one of my favorite um, young actors right now. I'm really interested in like all the roles that he takes. So I will definitely be checking this out. And I don't foresee this really having much of like just like a word of mouth. Like just I don't see it really being very 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 popular. But I don't really see it doing anything come award season because Netflix has so many other movies like Marriage Story and The Irishman and all everything like this. But uh, it's interesting. I definitely want to check it out. Yeah, and uh, it's weird. So the the poster for this is just a shot of Timothy Chalamet, um, but his head is at an angle that I, whenever I look at it, all I see is Killian Murphy, um, and I, I can't unsee it. And that is, that is my strongest impression of the king. Um, so in other Netflix news, uh, The Irishman has begun its limited theatrical release. Um, this is a very limited theatrical release, just with some of the issues they were having with with getting it released theatrically. Uh, but it opened to an estimate of three hundred fifty thousand dollars at eight different theaters, so that's a almost forty four thousand dollars per theater average, uh, which is really solid. And the reactions to this have um, almost exclusively been positive to this point. Um, so the Irishman is definitely something to keep an eye on here in the next few weeks. Yeah, I'm, I'm so excited for this film. And just kind of looking at those early numbers, that's not too bad at all. I think that's a pretty pretty good sum for them. And it is just kind of that debut weekend. It's four theaters, I believe, in New York, four in uh, Los Angeles. So it's just the really, really early release. And it will expand uh, across North America into a lot of uh, other indie theater chains. But there were a lot of issues, yes, with, with getting this film out into mainstream theaters. And it is a shame um, but I'll definitely touch on that uh, as we progress, talking about this film a little bit. Yeah, I this is a pretty solid start. I mean, I don't really trust anything that Netflix gives me in terms of numbers because uh, they're just always very secretive about what what they give out to us. And it was like, what did they say, like Bird Box? Like it was like 10 billion people watched it in its first hour of release or whatever. Like they just, they throw all this random shit and it's like, yeah, like uh, we'll see. Uh, but yeah, like it doesn't really change the fact that the Irishman looks really great and it's getting amazing reviews. Um, so I, I hope to see it in theaters before it comes to Netflix. Cause I think, I mean, Marty has been, I, talk, I say Marty, like I know him, but <laughs> like he's been, he's been talking about how he really uh, wants people to see this on the big screen. And I think he kind of deserves it. I'll, I'll 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 stop drinking like five hours before I see the movie and kind of hold it for three hours and forty minutes or however long it is because I think it's worth it for this movie with this crazy amount of scope and all these great actors in it. I I I'm very very excited. Yeah, me too. I mean, it's 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 exactly that, right? It's kind of just I wouldn't say paying tribute, but it's just the it's just the size, the scope, the scale of this film. It's going to be insane, and I am really excited for it. Um, but one of the things that a lot of big uh, theater chain owners kind of came out with this weekend, uh, uh, they were talking about how they were upset with Netflix and, and the negotiations and how everything played out. Um, and, and this weekend, a lot of stories dropped online about that. Um, so the traditional theatrical window is 90 days. Um, Netflix originally, there was an original discussion that they wanted 
Um, this film obviously would have a short window so they could get it onto uh, Netflix for streaming. Um, the big theater chains wanted originally uh, 72 days is kind of where they say that's the shortest we'll go, but they said, you know, we'll do 60 days. Netflix said, let's do 42 days. Um, and they, they said no, and they just couldn't reach an agreement. And I believe it's going to have a 26 day run in uh, indie theaters for the most part before it hits streaming uh, on the 27th of this month. Um, but I am definitely going to get out to see this thing in theaters because I think that's the way it should be seen. Um, but it's just such a neat thing because one of the big things with this film is Paramount initially had it. Obviously, Netflix came in and picked it up. Martin Scorsese said that Netflix kind of gave him complete um, leeway with this film. They said, do whatever you want with it. And there was really no creative control. So he was completely unleashed making this film, which is really neat. And I think that's why it's three hours and 30 minutes long. Yeah, and there was even talk with his previous film, Silence, which I I really love. And I think it's going to probably have some type of resurgence in the next couple of years because it was just it, it came out and Paramount didn't really put a lot behind it because there was just a, the crazy production issues behind that movie. Um, and then it just kind of went away. But um, yeah, that movie, he wanted to release that with like a four hour cut at one point. Um, and then it was eventually I think it's a little under three when, what, what we saw eventually. But yeah, he. Marty, I say it again, but he loves his lengths um, of his movies, and I, he deserves it, honestly. Like, how many amazing movies has he made over the years? Like, it's if anybody deserves to make like an epic like this, it's him. And I, I'm so happy to hear from Netflix, was just like, nah, you do you, like, and do whatever you want. So that's just he's the one guy who can pull it off and make all these things work, all these moving parts work together. So it's really cool. Very excited. Yeah, it's certainly one to keep watching, uh, keep an eye out for, and I'm definitely excited to see it when it releases. Uh, but before we wrap up with this podcast, we do want to talk about some of the October winners and losers. Um, so these are winners, movies that either surprised us uh, critically or commercially or an actor that just had a really good month or something like that. And then losers uh, being the opposite of that. So, Brennan, um, if you want to take it away with your loser for the month, and then we my, can kind of round robin from there. Yeah, my loser for the month is uh, Maleficent, um, the sequel. Uh, obviously, this film is not doing nearly as well as the first one. It's sitting at about $380 million worldwide, which is nothing compared to the first one. It's almost half the dollars of the first one, and I think it just shows that Disney needs to, to stop it a little bit. I mean, The Lion King, Aladdin, huge successes, but we can't see sequels of these live-action kind of retellings. We can't see sequels of them, and I think this is a sign of that. I hope it's a sign of that. All yeah, right. it's. And then, I just, Nick, I just yeah. don't really care about Maleficent. <laughs> it's just like, do we? And <laughs> do any of us really care at all? It's, yeah, I agree. All right, and then Nick, if you want to take it away with your loser for October. Yeah, I wanted to do. So, I mean, we we kind of been dunking on Gemini Man for the past few weeks, um, so that was kind of an easy one. Uh, but I wanted to go with something a little different, off the beaten path. So I went with Bruce Springsteen as my loser. Uh, which seems really bizarre, but stick with me here. So he had, we had Blinded by the Light, which came out, I think it was in August, mid-August, uh, which was supposed to be like this big kind of indie movie, a big breakout from Sundance. I think it was actually the most expensive purchase at Sundance earlier this year. I think it cost about $15 million that Warner Brothers and New Line bought it for. Um, that movie didn't really do much in theaters, uh, which was kind of surprising. But then I guess on the heels of that, Bruce Springsteen released a, a film that's, 
coming out in conjunction with his latest album. Uh, the movie's called Western Stars, and I believe the album is named that as well. And um, that movie didn't really do anything at all. Um, I think it's it's been out for quite some time. It had some fa- uh, had some Fathom events, and it's I think it's not even sc- uh, scraped a hundred a uh, hundred million. Geez, <laughs> one million. Um, and it's run. Um, so just. No one really cares. Uh, so sorry, Bruce. Um, you're just going to have to deal with all your royalties of other things that have made you so much money over the years because Western Stars isn't going to do it. Um, so yeah, I, that's that's my hipster loser of the of the month. Yeah, my loser of the month is horror fans. Uh, we horror fans were treated to absolutely nothing this October, um, which is just kind of strange considering you know last year we got Halloween, which was just this huge breakaway hit and success and got people excited about the franchise again and i mean we had opportunities we had it chapter two earlier this year but when it came down to october in the month that you know horror movies are in actual high demand uh, we got countdown um, <laughs> which was commercially and critically panned and the tagline for it was there's an app for that which i don't believe anybody has <laughs> said in at least 10 years um so i'm, I'm sorry horror fans but you were done dirty this October. <laughs> uh, so with that, we will go through our winners of the month because not every movie or studio is a loser. Uh, so Brennan, if you want to take it away with your winner for October. My winner for October is uh, Willem Dafoe and Robert Pattinson. It is The Lighthouse. They, they're doing great. This film is making some good money. And me and Nick talked about it on a previous podcast. This is kind of that indie popcorn flick. This movie is making money. It's, it's a film that is enjoyable to watch. It's really unique. But it's just a it, – it's a lot more fun and interesting and exciting than some may expect it to be going into it. The film opened up to 427000 at at eight theaters um, two weeks ago. $3 million last weekend, and now even seeping into November, it's almost at a thousand theaters. It's at nine seventy-eight. It made another two million dollars this weekend. The Lighthouse, while it is um, marginally uh, a winner, it is still a winner. Yeah, I I wholeheartedly agree. I love The Lighthouse. Um, I just everything about it I thought was phenomenal. Yeah, wacky, wacky, strange movie. I love it. It's so weird. And so for I guess for my winner of the month, once again I could have gone could have gone with Joker. I think that's that's a pretty safe one. Uh, that movie's made a shit ton of money. But I wanted to do uh, I wanted to give Param- uh, Parasite a few more a uh, few more little minutes of praise here. Uh, so the movie was already a massive hit uh, overseas. It made a little under a hundred million dollars before it even opened in the U.S. Um, but now in its very small theatrical release so far it actually just only expanded into 461 theaters this week um and it's already made over 7.5 million here in the states uh which is just just really good stuff and i think the success is just already it's already um like pretty cement pretty much cemented as the international uh film uh winner at the oscars this year uh, i just don't really see anything else beating it um so yeah my parasite it's really riding high and they think it's not going to stop anytime soon. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I unfortunately haven't had any opportunities to see this yet. Um, I'm hoping to be able to catch it in theaters before it leaves. Uh, but it's, it's definitely been a winner. I mean, not even just this month, like for the past two months, um, like it's just making waves and it's going to keep winning. And so for my winner of October, 
I'm going to go with the current war director's cut. Um, so this was a movie that when it was originally made in 2016 was pretty much hated by not only the people that saw it, but the people that made it. And then through just kind of a weird turn of events, uh, you know, with Weinstein and, and the whole scandal there it was kind of up, up in the air again. And then Martin Scorsese was able to kind of give the director a little bit more uh, creative power back just through his final cut approval. And what we got with the director's cut was, I think, a really strong balance between, you know, a, a biopic and entertainment. Um, and you learn something along the way, but it, it doesn't ever feel really exposition or boring. It just kind of moves along from beat to beat and shows you some cool stuff about some some cool American people. Yeah, Brett and I talked about that movie uh, when it first released. And it's really – I'm really happy to see it. Um, and it's doing – um, it's doing okay. It's doing pretty solid business here, but just the fact that it's out and the director kind of got to see his vision through and uh, I'm sure it's all the actors involved are really excited to finally see it come out. It's just, it's a rare win on this scale and it's, I just, I'm really happy for it. It warms my heart in a, a little bit. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. Um, I'm glad we got this and not whatever abomination the uh, original version was. <laughs> And so that kind of wraps it up for this weekend at the box office. Um, it was pretty busy, and I think most weekends from here on out through the, the end of the year are going to really kind of continue that trend. Um, so we'll be back next week talking about more movies. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Movie Babble Podcast. Again, you can check us out online at moviebabblereviews.com. And join us next week as we talk about the opening weekend for Dr. Sleep, Playing with Fire, Last Christmas, and Midway. Thank you.